Well, good morning. Welcome again. My name is Dion, and I'm so glad that you uh, came here to join us in the room. Or are you joining us online? It's great to be with you today. Uh, now, just when I thought, just when I thought I had seen everything there is to see, a friend showed me a video this week of the Gloucester cheese rolling race. Anyone see video of this or hear about this? Uh, if you missed it, the premise is pretty simple. It's a race that's been going on for over 200 years. Um, It starts when someone rolls an eight-pound cheese wheel down a very steep hill outside of a village in Gloucester, England, and a bunch of people chase after it. (laughs) See for yourself. isn't it? I've already cleared my calendar next year. Who wants to go? (laughs) Now, uh, I don't know about you, but that that was unnerving to watch. The sheer power of gravity. Uh, And gravity is this thing that we live with all the time, but we find ways to to mitigate against the power of gravity. And and so we're, we're more careful when we get near steep things or we put boundaries or limits or we use padding. But, but here there's none of that. There are no limits. There's no boundaries. There's no padding. Just your face smashing into the side of the hill over and over and over again. And here's the thing. Power like that is scary, isn't it? I mean, it's kind of funny but it's kind of scary. Unlimited, unrestricted, um, unchecked power is scary for all of us. And if you've ever experienced that in a relationship, man, that's really frightening. You know, maybe it's a boss and she does whatever she wants, whenever she wants, however she wants, and there's no one to tell her otherwise. Or maybe that's not a boss, that's a parent. Or maybe that's a, a kid who's bigger than you in your class who does the same thing. Uh, if you've ever been in a relationship with someone who is physically stronger, they control the money, they are smarter, they have more resources at their disposal, they have the, the, the weight or the support of your community behind them, uh, you know how frightening it can be to feel powerless under the weight of someone like that. And, and I think you also know what the flip side of this feels like too, don't you? You know what it feels like, how, how both exhilarating and a little bit, 
I don't know, intimidating. It can be to power up over someone who's weaker than you. You know what it feels like when you raise your voice, when you raise your hand, when you puff up your chest, when you stare someone down and they acquiesce, they submit to you. It feels kind of thrilling, but it also makes you feel a little bit like a monster, doesn't it? Whether that's your dog or your digital assistant. Anyone like to unload on Siri after a hard day? See, no matter what, you can always find someone, no matter how powerless you feel, you can always find someone who is weaker than you, and it can be so easy to power up on those people, and this whole thing can get us feeling like, man, power is just messed up, and, and people who want power, that's messed up, and, and power in and of itself is just not healthy, it turns people into monsters, it causes abuses of other people, power is just a bad thing. And, and it can lead us to all kinds of other problems in, in the world with each other, in our relationships. Here's what I'll tell you. For me, I'm okay with power as long as I'm the person who possesses it. Anybody else? Uh, and, and yet, when I am under the power of someone else, the idea of that just freaks me out. I don't like it at all. And going all the way back to my teenage years, I used to have this reoccurring nightmare that I would, I would be drafted into the army. And it wasn't, the thing that scared me about it wasn't that I was afraid of conflict or battle or I was afraid of getting hurt or dying. The thing that scared me about that, still scares me to this day about it, is to be powerless. You know, to have some drill sergeant standing over you telling you what to do and how to do it and when to get it. Like, the idea of that just, just overwhelmed me. Still to this day, I don't have those dreams. I have a different kind of dream. I have a dream that I'm, anyone have these dreams? I'm driving in a car and I'm hitting the brakes and they're not working. And I'm like, come on, brakes work. And they don't work. And it's, it's, it's a dream about power or control. And I, I think maybe that's because growing up, I grew up sometimes in an environment where I didn't have a lot of say. I didn't have a lot of power over my environment or the things going on. I, I, felt, I felt kind of out of control of my circumstances. And so for me, being powerless is not anything I want to experience again. And, and this, this relationship with power, even if that's not your relationship with power... It drives us to do all different kinds of things in our lives and in our relationships. Uh, for me, I, I look at my life and I realize that this whole thing with power, of not wanting to feel powerless, that's probably part of the reason that I've become so independent and self-reliant, which aren't necessarily bad things, right? Um, but I realize that some of the reason that I want to be self-reliant in, in, and independent is because I don't want to give people power over me. Um, it also makes me wonder if maybe that's part of the thing that has driven me to become a leader and not just a leader, but a, the leader in our organization here, um, that, that I just, I don't like the feeling of being under someone else's power. Only, only God knows. And I'm giving you a peek into my warped psychology because maybe you can relate with that, or maybe this makes you think of your own warped relationship with power. Because here's the thing, when we, when we deal with power, we so often just assume that power is bad or we, we, we feel like we need to have it in order to be con in control of our lives and so we get into these power struggles and, and these battles for power and we have unhealthy relationships with power and it's happening all around our world. Just in 2017 alone, do you know how many protests there were over different things that are happening in the world? And, and you could say, man, people are upset about a lot of things, but really it's all about the balance of power. Who has power and what are they doing with it? But today, I want to show you that Jesus offers us a different perspective on power. 
one that our world is not very accustomed to, maybe one that we're not even very accustomed to. And I believe that if, if, we, if we take hold of this perspective, it will not only change our relationships, it'll change our world. So let's look at it. Matthew chapter 20, page 987, if you're here in the room, or you can follow along on the screen. It starts with a request. It says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, she asked a favor of him. So Zebedee's sons are James and John. So James and John's mom, these James and John are two of the 12 closest disciples. Uh, Their mom comes there. She's Zebedee's wife. She comes to Jesus and she has a favor for him. Uh, Now, what, what I'll tell you about Zebedee's sons is that in another place, Jesus calls them the sons of thunder. It's kind of a nickname he gives them. And you say, sons of thunder, what's that about? Well, in another time later on, they're in this village and these people aren't receiving Jesus very well. And James and John suggest this to Jesus. They say, Jesus, why don't we call down fire from heaven on these people? <laughs> you know guys like this, right? Mike makes right. They're like, Jesus, let's just wipe these people off the map. Sons of thunder. These are guys who already probably have uh, an unhealthy relationship with power. So they go with their mother Maybe they're younger still. A lot of his disciples were younger. And, uh, and she kneels down in a position of humility, asks a favor of him. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. So she comes and she says, Jesus, I know you've got 12 disciples who are following you around everywhere, but, but my boys, James and John, they're, you know, what, would you just be so kind to let one of them be at your right, one at your left when you come into your kingdom? In other words, she's asking that her sons be placed in positions of power, these sons of thunder. Because if you're close to the guy in power, sitting at his right and left, literally, that means that you are also a person who has a lot of power. Now, this is a pretty immature request. I think most of us would, 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 would kind of feel that, right? I mean, you're trying to cut out the other 10. You come on the sly. You're like, can you put my boys in, in you know, the good positions? And, uh, and yet Jesus doesn't shame her. What he does is he tries to inform her and he begins teaching her and all of us a different way to think about power. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? And here this reference is a reference to his suffering. Uh, They answer, we can. And Jesus says to them, you indeed will drink from the cup, uh, drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. So Jesus says a couple things in his response. Again, I, I love that he doesn't shame her, but instead he first helps them understand that even though, yes, he's coming to be the king, that he's still a man who is under the authority of someone else. And see, this is, this is what everyone who is healthy with power understands, that even when you seem to have all the power, you are still in authority over someone, under someone else, that you still are, are, are called to submit to others. So Jesus says, hey, I don't get to decide those things. Those are up to my Father in heaven. Even though I'm coming to be the king, all-powerful king, I still submit to my Father in heaven. But not only that, the other thing that Jesus does is he begins to turn our conventional perspective on power on its head. Because he says, I'm not going to come into a position of power by charging into Jerusalem with the cavalry and and cavalry and we're going to, we're going to, you know, take out the guards and we're going to, you know, it's not going to be like that. It's not going to be a victorious march on Jerusalem where we seize power. Instead, I'm going to drink from this cup of suffering. I'm going to lay down my life for you and for the world. 
And so uh, this woman and her sons, they have to hear that. And I don't know if they're challenged by that, if they just roll their eyes. Um, But the story isn't over because two of the 12 come with this power play and it doesn't take long before the other 10 hear about it. And so it says when the other 10 hear about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Let's be honest. It's probably because they didn't think of it first. Like, why didn't we think of that? Um, They beat us to the chase. But Jesus called them all together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. So he says, you know how the, how the rest of the world works, the Gentile world. When you're, in, when you're in a position of authority, you let everybody know you are. And when you have power in the Gentile world, you make sure everybody knows you have power. You flex as much as you can because... If you don't do that, then they're going to challenge your power. They'll take your seat. Might makes right in the Gentile world. That's how it goes. You know that's how it works there. Everyone's nodding along. They know how this works. You know how this works. Then Jesus says, not so with you. I don't want you to be like that. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. So you got this? So if you want to become great you want a position of power or authority, the way you get to it in my kingdom is that you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Turning this conventional understanding of power on his head. And then Jesus says some, this is one of my favorite verses in all of scripture. He says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? He's saying that when we get to these places in life where we're feeling disempowered or or we're under the abuse of power of someone else or we're feeling uncomfortable with the relationship we have with other people because they have more power than we do or we have more, you know, when we get into these power struggles, when we get into these imbalances of power, Jesus says something really important. He says the problem isn't with power. I'm going to repeat that. The problem isn't with power. Not only am I going to repeat that, I'm going to give you some visual reinforcement of what I just said. The problem isn't with power. And, and we need to know that because usually when we come up against these power struggles, we, we turn to power and we try to deal with the situations that cause power struggle by, by dealing with matters of power. So we say, you know, let's, let's first flatten out power. When we're feeling threatened by someone else's power, we imagine that if we just flattened everything out and we all had the same amount of power that we'd all be okay which isn't true, of course, because in history, we've tried that. You go back to the Russian Revolution, the Bolshevik Revolution of 100 years ago. They said, you know what? The the oligarchy has too much power. The king has too much power. The the czar has too much power. Let's, let's, Let's make sure that it's flat, that no one has more power than anyone else. And inevitably, what happens still 100 years later, you've got Vladimir Putin and his friends who have all of the power and the people have none. So yeah, it's flat down here, but someone always has power. See, power by nature, by definition, requires imbalance. For you to have power in some way, that means someone else doesn't. That's just the way it is. And you know what? That's not actually a problem. We see it as a problem, but that's not a problem. Note that Jesus is coming into the world to become a king with a kingdom that is not of this world, but a kingdom nevertheless. He's coming into a position of power. We confess in our creeds that he died and and he was raised again and he's now ascended and he sits at the right hand of God. 
in a place of power. Jesus doesn't disparage power. He came to step into a role of power. And so the fact that there's an inequity of power in our world, that's just normal. That's okay. That's not the problem. And so the answer isn't to flatten it. The answer isn't to redistribute power. There's a lot of talk about this in our day. Uh, You know, the people in power, they're doing a bad job. They're abusive of their power. So the answer is throw them out of power, take the disempowered, the disenfranchised, give them more power and everything will be okay. That is until the disempowered find power and they become abusive in their power toward the others. And we see this again throughout history. Why? Because, Because the problem isn't with power. It's not about the balance of power. It's not about flattening or redistributing power. Instead, what does Jesus say? Problem isn't with power. It's all about what you do with your power. It's all about not who is in power or if they have more power than me, but it's all about whatever power I have. It's all about what I choose to do with that power. Do I lord it over people like the Gentiles or do I follow the example of Jesus? See, what Jesus is giving us here are some new rules of engagement related to how we manage power in our life. Now, rules of engagement, this is a military term because even in military conflict, when it's all about bringing the full weight of your power against your enemies, people have decided throughout history that there has to be limits, that it is not a free-for-all. There are some things that are inbounds and there are some things that are out of bounds. And so even in armed conflict, there are rules of engagement. And here Jesus gives us new rules of engagement. He says power is not the problem. It's what you do with your power that often creates problems. And he gives us new rules of engagement and not rules even. He gives us a rule of engagement that will transform everything. And here's the rule. All power is to be used for the good of others. See, it's not a matter of who has power and who doesn't have power. If you got more than me or less than me, if I'm feeling powerless and you're powerful, Jesus says, it doesn't matter. See, whatever power you have, that power is meant to be used for the good of others. And what I love about Jesus is this is not just something that he talks. This is something that he lives. He shows us what it looks like to be all-powerful. And yet, just as he, as he said in, in Matthew 20, he, he comes not to be served, but to serve us with his power. And he comes ultimately to lay down his life as a ransom. I love that, I love that, as a ransom. Because we are hostage to sin and our vices and our pettiness and broken ways of living. And he, and he comes to give his life to ransom us, to buy our freedom so that we can know a new way of living. I I love that Jesus is is one who came in all power and he gave his life for us even when we were his enemies. See, he models a different way to live out power. And, And I think you'll agree that when you have power like that and you live it out in that way, it doesn't matter. I mean, a guy like Jesus, I want him to have all of the power if that's how he's gonna use his power. But the problem is in our relationships, let alone our workplaces and government and everything else, in our relationships, we don't take this rule of engagement to heart. 
Uh, but, but Paul is going to take this because Paul was a guy later on who was influenced by Jesus, influenced by this revolutionary teaching where Jesus says, all power is not to be used for your cronies, for your boys, James and John, for, for you to hurt other people. It's to be used for the good of others. Paul took hold of this revolutionary teaching and he, and he, and he began to teach people what it looks like in relationships. So we're going to look at Galatians 6 as we, uh, as we bring this to a close today. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, now I'm going to pause right here. Because in this moment, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, in the moment you catch someone in a sin, or someone is caught in a sin, and you can think theologically sin, you can think wrongdoing of any kind, misappropriation of funds, uh, you know, some, other, some other thing where you didn't co- conduct yourself in an ethical way. Whenever that happens in human relationships, when someone is caught in a sin, immediately, whatever the power structures were before, those are wiped out. And whoever you are, if you're not this person, but you're anyone else, the person who caught them or a bystander for that, what immediately happens is you are given an amazing amount of power in this situation. When someone is caught in a sin, again, it doesn't matter if you've been completely powerless in that relationship. Suddenly you find yourselves with amazing amounts of power. And it doesn't matter who this person is. It can be your boss. It can be the CEO. It can be an elected official. It can be your spouse. It can be your parent. It can be your big brother or sister. doesn't matter who that person is. When they're caught in a sin, suddenly all the power structures are wiped out. And that person is now in a very vulnerable place where they have no power. And the rest of us are standing around with extraordinary power over them right? And if you've ever been in that position, you know, either, either part, if you've been the one caught or you've been the one doing the catching, uh, you know that all bets are off. There's a great reversal of, of power here. But here's what Paul says. In that moment, brothers and sisters, if someone's caught in a sin, there is a great temptation that lurks out there for us. And that temptation, I think, is especially powerful if we are someone who hasn't in life felt very powerful in other ways. Or uh, maybe this person has made our life miserable or they've been abusive or you know, we've been jealous of their power. There's a great temptation in this moment. Let's just acknowledge that. And these moments happen all the time in human relationships. Whether it's a big sin or a little thing where suddenly all of the power structures are wiped out and we find ourselves in a position of power over someone else. Uh, Doug Moss called it moral high ground last week. Uh, And here's what Paul says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, you should restore that person gently. So Paul says, in that moment, I know there's a great temptation to take the baseball bat of power and to get even, to bludgeon that person, to, you know, might makes right and now it's my turn, you've hurt me, now I'm going to hurt you, I'll show you who's boss, or to, uh, you know, I'm going to use this to manipulate you, now I can control you, I'll blackmail you, I'll get you to do my bidding. There's a great temptation in that moment. Paul says, in that moment, if you live by the spirit of God, if, if you take hold of this new rule of engagement that Jesus has given us in our relationships, when you find yourself in a position of power, here's what I want you to do, Paul says. I want you to restore that person gently. Use your power to restore them. Now, this word restore in other places can mean to cauterize a wound. And let's just be honest. There are some people 
in your life who if they were bleeding, you would love to cauterize that wound. Take a hot poker and be like, you'd get some satisfaction from that, wouldn't you? Um, but I love that Paul adds the word here. Um, you, should, you should cauterize the wound. You should restore that person gently. You should use your power to restore them, to, to cauterize, the, stop the bleeding, cauterize the wound, to bring healing to them. Uh, and then he goes on, but watch yourselves or you may also be tempted because that temptation is so great. And then he goes on and he says, carry each other's burdens. You want to know how to use your power in that moment, the power that you suddenly find? Use it to carry the other person's burden, not to beat them up. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. This law of Christ that says, uh, love your enemies, love one another. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves without comparing themselves to someone else. Like if, if you have to find your worth by comparing yourself to other people or feeling morally superior over other people, that's worthless, Paul says. He says, if, if you want to pay attention to your own journey, fine. But it shouldn't matter what other people are doing. And then he says, uh, so you know, take pride in yourself without comparing yourself to other people. For each one should carry their own load. So at the beginning he says, carry each other's burdens. He ends saying, each one should carry their own load. And what he's talking about is this really important dynamic in our humanity. That we as people have these two powerful needs that are often in conflict with each other, but we need both of them. On one side, we have the need for autonomy. Autonomy means I need to have a say in my life. Anyone here have that need? Need to have a voice in your own destiny? Right? I mean, this is a basic human need that you have. No matter how powerless you feel, we all need to feel some sense of power, control over our lives. And that varies for some of us. I'll talk about that in a minute. But, but this involves having a sense of power. And Paul says, yeah, every person needs to pay attention to their own journey. Pay you know, you're in charge of your own journey. Carry your own load. He affirms our right to autonomy. But on the other side, the other deep need that we have is the need for connection. We cannot live without connection. But realize that in order to have connection, it's the opposite of autonomy. In order to have connection, you know what we have to do? We have to be willing to give our power away. We have to be willing to empower people in our lives, to be vulnerable. And to be vulnerable literally means to be open, uh, to open ourselves up to being wounded or being hurt. And so to have connection, we've got to give our power away to others and, and, and then they get to decide what to do with it. Are they going to hurt us? Are they going to wound us? Are they going to make fun of us? Are they going to abuse us? Are they going to take us for granted? Or will they use the power that we're giving away to them to connect with us, to love us, to empathize with us, to support us, to walk with us? We can never know. And so you see, these are on opposite sides of this great power spectrum. I wish I had like a much longer TV to show you this to you. That on one side you have autonomy and that says, I've got to hold on to power in my life. I need a voice. I need control. You need that to thrive. None of us can live without a sense of autonomy. And God respects your sense of autonomy. But none of us can live without connection either, giving our power away, making ourselves vulnerable. So see this, we have deep needs that are in conflict. We need to feel powerful and we need to feel connected. And these things live in tension in our lives. And you wonder why relationships are so difficult. 
because these dynamics are at play. We're, we're trying to feel connected with people, but we're trying to hold on to some sense of power. And in our relationships, it's back and forth. And there are moments where we feel no power and we power up over people. And that's why we get into power struggles and conflict and our relationships are such a mess. But, but do you know how you maintain the tension between these two needs? Do you know how you find both of them on this vast spectrum where they seem to be on opposite sides? You redefine power. You, you follow this rule of engagement from Jesus and you use whatever power you have for the good of others. And when you can do that, when you can use whatever power you have for the good of others, it makes this tension and living in this tension possible where you can feel both powerful and connected. I'll tell you what I mean. Um, in my marriage, uh, in my family really, but in my marriage, I tend to be the guy who um, always puts his stuff in the proper place. Um, I don't know if any of you are like this. Everything of mine has a home. It has a place. And every time I use it, I put it back there. And when I go there, the next time I expect to find it there. Anyone else like that? Everything has a home. And life is easier when things just find their way to their home. So I, I'm that guy. I'm also the guy who really tries to take care of things. So, so I, I, I you know, put things in their place. I make sure they're well cared for. I've got sunglasses that I've kept forever. And I, you know, I put them back in the case with the soft cloth over them to make sure they don't get scratched. And I'm that guy. I'm that guy in my marriage. And I'm not exactly saying that Jocelyn doesn't do those things, but you know how this works. Um, so she's, she's different than I am. She's on the other end of the spectrum. So back in April, imagine how I felt when uh, one of our kids needed to be brought up here for rehearsal and uh, I jump into Jocelyn's car, not my car, and I back out the car and I back into the garage door before it's all the way up. And not only do I back it into the garage door, but um, the bottom of the garage door catches the spoiler on the back of her car. Um, and it pops that thing like, a, like popping a soda tab. You know, it's just like, psh, like pops it up and I'm going. And in my mind, here's what happens. Not only did I you know, make a mistake and her car's way nicer than mine and you know, I, I like to treat nice things well. Um, but in my mind, I'm going, oh no. Here's her moment. <laughs> All of those years where... Um, where you know, I ridicule her for not taking good care of her stuff when she lost it or something got scratched or broken. And I, you know, whether I said it out loud and overtly or whether it was just subtle, like, oh, well, that's why you should take better care of your things. You know, like, because we do that, right? I, all, all of those years where I've done that to her or I've made her feel bad about not being careful enough with her things. Now, now, now here's her moment. The tables are turned. And she, she, is, she is empowered. She has the authority to look at me and say, how could you be so careless? Why are you always in a hurry? Which is true. Why wouldn't you be more careful with my car? Why wouldn't you be more careful with our things? All the money that this is going to cost, we could put that other places. We can't afford this right now. She could say all of those things and she would be right. So I'm, I'm, this is going through my mind. I'm driving here. I drop off my daughter and I, I drive back home. Jocelyn doesn't know this has happened fully yet. And, uh, and as I'm getting ready to face her and tell her what has happened, I'm honestly expecting her to do all of those things, to use her newfound power to get even. But she didn't. Instead, what does she do? I come in the house, I tell her, and she goes, I'm so sorry. It's okay. And in that moment, 
She took the power she had. She not only used it for my good, but in that moment, guess what happens? happened? She walked away feeling powerful and connected, and so did I. See, this new rule of engagement, it can transform your relationships. And, and here's the thing. It doesn't matter how much power you have. Whatever power you have, if you use it for the good of the other, it can leave you both feeling more powerful and connected. Now, the only exception is if the person you're in a relationship with is a sociopath. Then all bets are off. And, and those people do exist. Evil does exist. And so that could be true for you. I don't know. But chances are it's not. Most of the people that we are in relationships with, they may be immature, but they're not sociopaths. But here's what I can tell you. If you use whatever power you have, whether it's positional power because you've, you've got status or position or it's moral authority or whatever else it is, if you use whatever you have for the good of the other, then you can transform the dynamics of your relationships away from power struggles and, and power wars where one's trying to get up over on the other you, you can turn the dynamic into, into something where you're both using your power to help each of you feel more powerful and connected. And I hope you realize this is what God, this, this is what God does. And this is why people like us can, can come here. I mean, think about this. You don't go walk into the president of the United States home, uh, dress the way you are, and say, hey, how's it going? I just thought I'd drop by. You don't, you don't do that to your boss. You don't walk into her office and just go sit, plop down in a chair and say, hey, what's up? Right? Usually with, with people in positions of great power, there's this reverence as you come in to their presence. And you do it only with permission because they've got power and they could, you know, wipe you out. And, and yet, and yet, this is what I love about this church, because this is true. This is what God wants. This is how God has revealed himself to be, that, that we come here on weekends and we walk in, and, and I hope this is true for you, and if this is not true for you, keep digging into the character of God because this will transform your life. It will transform your relationship with God that we walk into this place, into the house of a God who has all power, who spoke our world into being with a word and can, with a word, make us you know, fall to the ground, crumble to dust. We walk in here, and we walk in joyful and excited, not afraid, but eager to connect, eager to show our love, eager to feel loved. We walk into this place believing that we can stand in the presence of an all-powerful God and not leave feeling small and worthless, but we can leave this place feeling empowered to live life to the fullest. Do you know how that happens? <laughs> that happens because we love and serve and worship a God who lives out his own rules, who from the beginning of time has only ever used his power for our good. He spoke this world into creation, not for his sake, but for ours. And he sent his son into the world, not for his sake, but for ours, that we might find life and redemption in a relationship, that we might find wholeness now and forever. See, if you don't believe, if you don't believe that this simple rule can transform your relationships, then just pay attention to how you come into this place on a weekend. 
the joy you feel, the connection you feel, the love you feel, the security you feel, that, that you're okay with being vulnerable. And you will see that this simple rule, that all power is meant to be used for the good of others, it can transform your relationships so that you and the people you're in relationships with always feel both powerful and connected. So today I want to close, giving you some time just to meditate on all of this. We so often get caught up in who's got more power than us, how much power we have. I want you just to focus on the power that you do have and what God calls you to do with it. So there's some prompts on the screen. Take a look and, and use these to confess.